Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago, and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Today on the show, we have a man called Chris Walk. For those of you in the cancer world, you may have heard of him as he is a very well-recognized and appreciated patient advocate of cancer. He was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer at 26 in 2003. It's now 2021 and he's 18 years cancer-free. At the beginning, he had surgery, but then he decided he wanted to not do the traditional methods that the doctors were recommending, radiation, chemotherapy, and he went down a massive rabbit hole and decided to completely turn around his life and cure the cancer himself. I just might add, he's not a doctor. He's a patient advocate, three books in total, of his story of beating cancer. He's got over a million followers. He's got really good advice. But I will say to you this, look at this as an opportunity to research for yourself. He has helped people, but you know everybody's different. And I just want to urge you to listen to his amazing story and look at his website and all, and and potentially read his books and share that with friends that have cancer or family that has cancer. But use it as a research tool. I think with any research that you do on the internet about your condition, it's really important that you look at it with your your blinkers on, and you then make a educated guess or an educated decision for yourself about what's going to work with you. By all means, experiment, but use people's stories as a launching platform to look deeper into what your personal story is. It's a really, really good informative interview about diet and lifestyle, particularly with cancer. Hope you enjoy it. I am very excited to have this man on my show because I've heard a lot about him through people that have been talking about their journeys with cancer. A lot of people know you. If you're listening, you may have heard of him yourself. His name is Chris Wark. Is that how you pronounce your surname? It is in Australia. (laughs) It's war. Welcome, Chris. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time because your journey is a massive one. To start with, just say what you were diagnosed with, at what age, and how long ago that has been. I was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer at 26. That was December 2003. I'm about to celebrate my 18-year cancerversary. At 26, that's really young for a diagnosis like that. 
it is really young, but I was sort of on the first wave. Uh, young adult colon cancer is rising dramatically, rapidly. Uh-huh. There are a lot of very concerned medical professionals and researchers that are seeing this trend. It's predicted to be up 90%, I think by 2035. Have they worked out what it is that is causing this rise? Well, there's a number of factors, but diet is the biggest driver for sure. Diet and lifestyle are huge drivers, which we'll, of course we'll talk about because I had to change my diet in order to get well and, and heal and thrive. And that's what I encourage everyone to do as a patient advocate. So before we get to that, because that is enormous and I'm such a huge advocate for that as well, set the scene at 26. Were you brought up with eating processed foods? Were you brought up actually knowing about health? Like what was the situation like in your life before you were diagnosed with this? Well, I grew up eating the standard American diet, which is the Western diet, which is a diet that is very high in meat and dairy. It's very high in processed food and junk food and fast food. And it's very low in uh, fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. <laughs> whole foods from the earth, very low in herbs and spices and A lot legumes. of super size me portions. That's the American yes, way. right. And, mm-hmm. and I, I've always been thin, so I would just pig out. So yeah, I definitely supersized every fast food meal. And I was a junk food connoisseur and a barbecue connoisseur, you know, as a teenager and a young adult. It's funny though, because I should have known better. My mom was, she was into healthy stuff and she wasn't a vegetarian or a vegan, but she was definitely shopped at health food stores and bought, took supplements and would, you know, consume stuff like kefir and wheat germ and sprouts and things like that. But she still took me to have my first birthday at a McDonald's, right? So she wasn't a hardcore crunchy mom like so many today. And then I also worked at a, a wild oats, which was bought out by Whole Foods. So it was a natural, you know, an organic grocery store. You know, I was around that for about a year in college. I knew what juicing was. I knew about wheatgrass. I knew about organic food and health food and stuff like that, but I wasn't eating it. Were you an active kid, an active teenager? exercise, yoga, all that sort of stuff, sport? Definitely no yoga as a teenager. (laughs) Yeah, I I didn't know anyone doing yoga as a teenager in the 90s, but I'm sure they were out there. I played 21 seasons of soccer and then, then I quit all exercise and got into playing music, bass guitar and guitar and drums and was a musician in high school and in college and lifted some weights in college, but you know, that was about the extent of it. The other part, because the colon is a very important part of the body, were you regular? Yes, I was actually regular, for sure. Uh, but uh, but And I also had a lot of stress in my life. So yeah, in, in some ways, I wasn't like your typical person who is constipated, right? <laughs> and is yeah. like only going to the bathroom a few times a week. Or I mean, yeah, I would have a bowel movement every day, at least. Now it's twice a day. I'll stop showing off, Chris. well that's really that is good for you i've heard that that's you know a thing that that should for a healthy person that's what should happen that's my aim it's on the bucket list twice a day on the bucket list so at 26 or just before you got diagnosed were you were there symptoms in your body that were displaying that were bothering you is that why you went to get it checked out yeah abdominal pain so i was having abdominal pain that would come and go you know the thing about your colon is there aren't very many nerves in there, and so uh, I would only feel twinges of pain when 
you know, the food moved through my colon and, and sort of agitated that spot where the tumor was. So I would feel twinges of pain periodically, but it wasn't constant, right? Because it's within, you know, a short time after going to the bathroom, the pain would go away. And then I would, I was having dark stool. That's another sign. Erect bleeding and dark stool and abdominal pain are, are all signs of colon disease, colon cancer. And so I did have those for the better part of a year. And eventually I went to the doctor. They referred me around eventually to a gastroenterologist. He did the colonoscopy, found the tumor. And then they said, we got to get you into surgery right away to get this thing out of you before it spreads and kills you. This is what happens in most cancer patients. When they get a diagnosis, they're rushed into treatment before they understand their disease, before they have a time to think about their life and what's causing them harm. And uh, before they have time to research what the risks and benefits are of the treatments that are recommended, they're just rushed in out of fear. Yeah, I've heard this a lot. Yeah. In many cases, they're not in a life or death urgent situation, right? You have more time than they, they want you to believe. And you have time to read and research. You have time to change your life. You know, yeah, if there's a tumor blocking your windpipe or blocking your colon, then that gets to be pretty urgent and you need to do something very fast. But most cancer diagnosis, it's just a lump or a bump. And it's it's not threatening that person's life. So why do so, you think that they, sorry to interrupt, that they do this? Is it to cover their own asses because of yes. the world of being sued? Well, there's a few reasons. One, yes, cover your ass. Two, the medical system in the United States uh, is a for-profit industry, and uh, you know it, it's good practice to book a patient for treatment uh, as soon as possible, so you don't lose them as a patient. Right? They may go somewhere else. Cancer clinics, they and a lot of doctors that you know they want to you schedule your next appointment before you leave because yeah. they want to make sure you show up, and that's not just for your sake. That's so they can keep their days full of patients and keep the money coming in. So oh yeah, because your health system is pretty shit, isn't it? Over there. You've got to pay each time to see a doctor. Yeah, we don't have universal health care. Healthcare is very expensive and there are a lot of perverse incentives, especially in the cancer industry, because the cancer clinics make a profit off of chemo drugs. I talk about this in my first book, Chris Beat Cancer. There's there's five chapters in there that are basically an expose on the medical, pharmaceutical, and cancer industry so that patients can know what they're getting into, right? They can see where the traps are and they can navigate them with intelligence and wisdom. But one of these little known facts is that, yeah, private practice oncologists make up to two thirds of their income from the profit off of chemotherapy drugs in the United States. They're going to want everybody to do chemo. Oh, they must hate you then uh, and what your work is. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Who cares, right? Hate me or not. You know, the truth has to be told and people need to be informed. Well, I'll take you back to this. Then. So so the moment that he said, was it a he? I'm assuming it was yes. a he, she, them, he. It was a he. Uh, so the moment that he told you that you needed to have surgery and immediately that was one time, the, the only time that you just went, okay, I'll do it your way and have it done. Yeah. I mean, I'd never had any experience with healthcare. I'd never had any health problems. So they wanted to get me into surgery right away. And I postponed it uh, until after Christmas on December 30th, just because I didn't want to be in the hospital on Christmas. And I went in and they took out a third of my large intestine. That's where the tumor was. They, when I woke up, they said, it's worse than we thought. 
We were hoping you would be stage two, you're stage three C. It spread to your lymph nodes. We got everything we could see, but you're going to need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. I initially accepted the the fact that, okay, I guess I got to do chemo. You know, I was on some pretty heavy, heavy pain medication, right? When I was like, okay. But uh, a couple things happened in the hospital. The first thing happened that happened was they served me a sloppy Joe. Oh, yeah. Do you have sloppy Joes in Australia? No, I can only imagine. Is it just processed? Yeah, I'll and- describe it. Uh, a sloppy Joe is a hamburger bun, and they make this giant vat of ground beef in some kind of sauce, and then they ladle it onto the, the burger bun. Right. So it's like, it's almost like spaghetti sauce, sort of, and then on a burger bun. So it's like really messy and they call it a sloppy Joe. And it's, you know, it's what they serve in summer camp or the military or, you know, high school cafeterias or prison and surprise also in hospitals to cancer patients and people who just had quadruple bypass or whatever. Outrageous. Like it's almost, it's almost abuse. Really? Even in that state where I was I was really hungry, I hadn't eaten in a few days, and I was on heavy drugs and all that. They put this thing in front of me, and I'm like, gross. Like, why are you serving this to sick people? And then a few days later, I was recovering well. They told me, okay, you can go home today. And my surgeon came in to check on me, and we were talking about what was going to happen next. And I happened to ask him, is there any food I need to avoid? And he said, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. Oh my God. This is an oncologist. Is this an Well, this was a surgeon. A surgeon. Yeah. Abdominal surgeon. So that was kind of, you know, again, I'm like, okay, uh, the wheels are turning. I'm, I feel like, why is there such a disconnect between healthcare and actually like healthy living, health food, you know, nutrition? Like they don't have anything to say about any of that. And, you know, again, I was no expert, but I knew that there was a world of healthy stuff out there that people were pursuing, right? Not me, but I knew there were people that were really into it. And as a, as an independent thinking, rational person, I knew instinctively that there were things I needed to do to help myself. What can I do, right? To help myself. Yeah. That's that beautiful moment in time where you go, and it depends on your personality too. I think when you're handed something you can either bend over and say, yes, I trust you. Or you go, actually, I trust myself a little bit more than you and let's work together on it. But it takes a certain kind of person, especially when you're in a situation like you've just been, very vulnerable, not knowing too much about it. But there's that hunger. And and the people that I talk to, all there's always, there's always a hunger in them to research. That's the most common theme that a lot of people on the podcast say, research, find people that want to help, not just want to solve your problem. Yeah. You have to become a problem solver. You have yeah. to take on the attitude of, of, I have a problem. And once you admit you have a problem, then you realize you need to work to solve that problem. And I had to admit, okay, I've got a problem. It's cancer. I'm not, I can't blame anyone else for it. It's, it's my body. It's my cells. It's my DNA. And I've got to learn. I've got to read. I got to figure this out. You know, and I came to that conclusion a little bit later, like not right away. What you just mentioned, I want to, expound on just a bit because it's like if you don't trust your doctor you need to find someone that you do trust yeah that means you need second opinion third opinion you got to knock on some doors you got to go and meet some some professionals right some medical professionals healthcare professionals meet with them talk to them like figure out what is their philosophy what do they believe about health and healing 
You know, are they just there to prescribe drugs or are they there to help you change your life? And how much education do they even have on diet and lifestyle medicine? And it's also about their agenda because I've gone to many neurologists and some just have an agenda to stop the symptoms at whatever cost to you that is. The cost with epilepsy is just completely losing the joy in your life because of all all the the medications that placate your brain. You become a victim of disease. Yeah. And this is what happens in cancer. Cancer patients are told there's nothing you did uh, and and to to contribute to your condition and Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do to help yourself. We are your only hope. And that makes you into a powerless victim of disease. You become discouraged and depressed and hopeless and it gets worse over time. Right, the longer you go in a state of just taking medication for for your symptoms, the medication makes you feel bad in other ways, and yeah, it steals your joy, and you kind of can become a shell of a person living with chronic disease. Yeah, and uh, you know, we all know people like this that that have just lived with chronic disease so long, and no one has ever told them, "Hey, you can heal this." Yeah, you can heal if you're willing to change your life. Really get honest with yourself and read and research and learn. And change the way you behave, change what you put in your mouth, change the way you think, change your daily routine, Yeah, that's address a- the stress in your yeah. life. Like this is a holistic approach to health and healing. It's good news, but it's hard work and it's not it's work. Fa- faint. It's absolutely work. It's commitment and work and dedication. And not a lot of people can be fucked just to be honest about it in a very Australian way. They can't be bothered putting the effort in. When you left the hospital after, you know, after your sloppy joe, did they put you on medication? No, they sent me home to recover from surgery because they had cut through my abdominal wall. And I got home, I was recovering, it was just I was weaning myself off the pain medication for whatever reason, I didn't feel good on it. You know, some people enjoy pain meds. I didn't, whatever they had me on, I didn't like them. <laughs> yeah. There's just a, you know, in my my spirit, I just like I need to sober up. Like I need to just get my wits about me and and as I did, I was thinking about my life and my future. And the idea of poisoning my way back to health did not make sense to me. I didn't know anything about chemo, but I did know that it was poison, highly mm. toxic. Your hair falls out. I mean, I'd seen chemo patients out in the world, right? Advanced cancer, advanced chemo patients. And I'd seen what they look like. And it's scary, right? I don't mean that in a, in a way that's mean. But when you see another human in that physical state, it leaves an impression on you. And so I, I definitely had those impressions in my mind. I didn't like that prospect. And so I prayed about it. And I just said, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me. I don't know what to do. I just said, show me. I'm, I'm open. I'm listening. I'm here. You know, Two days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man in Alaska who knew my dad. And this book was written by another guy named George Malcolmus who had healed his colon cancer with a raw foods and juicing. And as I'm reading his story, I got so excited and encouraged and inspired. And I thought, if this guy did it, maybe I can do it, right? He, uh, the body can heal. This, no one has told me. Uh, it was, it gave me just enough of a spark of hope. That's a pretty I changed good sign. my diet too. Oh, did you? Yeah, overnight. Yeah. Okay. Raw food diet overnight. Again, this was early January 2004. I'd never heard of the raw food diet. And so, it wasn't like today where there's all these raw food in- Instagrammers and they're all like beautiful, young, sexy singles or whatever, right? Yeah. Like It wasn't like that. It was like, oh, this is a diet for sick people and weirdos. And uh, and I'm sick and I'm a weirdo. So this is the perfect diet for me. 
I want to ask you though about the fruit side of things because you know there's a lot of information out there about sugar being um, you know cancer loving sugar and I think there's a bit of misinformation about fruit and certain high carb vegetables that might turn into sugar if you diet if you're not an active person let's say for me personally I get very confused about the message between fruit and sugar conversion and cancer you're listening to the Love Your Diagnosis podcast with Lainey Godiva. We're just about to find out, is fruit a good idea when you have cancer considering there's sugar in it? Let's find out what Chris thinks. Carbohydrates are fuel for your body. Your body loves carbohydrates. It, your cells want carbohydrates. They want sugar. They all run on sugar and they only run on fat when sugar is absent in, in starvation mode or in a sort of artificially forced, uh, unnatural ketogenic diet. So sugar and fruit is wonderful. Like you're not getting cancer from eating too much fruit. If you go to a cancer clinic and you survey every patient in there, they're not fruitarians. <laughs> no. right? They're not eating fruit at all. They're not eating vegetables. They're eating tons of meat and dairy, tons of fast food, processed food, sugary drinks, too much salt and oils. Yeah. This is what people are eating and it's the diet that's driving cancer. So so there's this reductionist idea that sugar feeds cancer. And, and yes, it's true. High fructose corn syrup, right? White yeah. sugar, processed sugar is toxic because it's only sugar and nothing else. When you eat an apple, you're getting vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, probiotic bacteria, prebiotic fiber, an unknown number of phytonutrients that you only get from apples. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess everyone's different. See, like fruit, fruit can aggravate some people, you know, there's not a one size fits all thing. Maybe, you know, in the, in the topic of cancer, perhaps it's, it's a thing, but then there are so many other, you know, people with high stress, psoriasis, skin stuff that really should not be eating stuff like that. So I think, I think once again, with health, it's a very individual thing and you've got to look at it completely in your own through your own lenses for yourself not what others are, are eating i mean that's the thing with like you said the keto diet that was made for people with epilepsy it's now a fad diet it was designed actually so that the sugar didn't spike the the abnormal brain activity in in untreated epilepsy you know med medicine resistant epilepsy so it did have a it does have a purpose but now people have cottoned onto it as a fad diet for different things you know i know people who have had cancer that the keto diet really worked for them that cutting out fruit really worked for them they tried an experiment how long after you started the your journey with raw food and i suppose yoga was in there somewhere after that um, did you med start to meditate as well like how did you change your mindset I decided to change everything about my life. And so I started with the easy things and changing my diet was easy because I had, I had the motivation to do it. Exercise was easy because I had the motivation to do it. And then I, I realized I need to really need to work on my mindset and the way I'm thinking, the way I'm looking at the world. I need to look at stress in my life. And so that took time, right? It takes time to change your mind, but you can change it. And the first step really is they call it mindfulness now, but at that time I didn't know there was a word for it, but it was just basically paying attention to what you're thinking, catching yourself thinking negatively and choosing to think positively. 
catching yourself in the middle of envy or jealousy and choosing to practice gratitude and saying, you know what? Yeah, that person's got some good stuff going on in their life, but so do I. Thank you, God, that I can see and hear, that I can get out of bed, that I can feed myself, that I have money to pay my next set of bills. Gratitude became my secret weapon uh, because the fear and worry and anxiety were, were palpable. Yeah. They were creeping in and trying to steal my joy every single day. And so I learned how to be happy and content in the most difficult season of my life. You know, it's like the old saying is uh, the healthy person cares about a lot of things or everything. And the sick person only cares about one thing. That's and, right. Uh, that's getting well. Yeah. And staying well. Getting well is one thing, but then keeping that up. So like getting well is, is only part of the journey. It's staying well once you've had something like yours or something like what I've got or other things. That is the key to a, a joyous life. One, one question I wanted to ask. Have you met a lot of oncologists on your journey? doing yes. it since writing the book and how do they react to you because i know a lot of them just do not give any merit to this other stuff things are changing pretty rapidly and and a lot of oncologists are paying attention to diet and lifestyle and especially the immune system because immunotherapies once immunotherapies started coming out they started realizing oh wait a second all the scientists and researchers are trying to boost a patient's immune system right so it's th- there's an internal process that protects you from cancer right? Your immune system. And if your immune system is weak, you are vulnerable to cancer and chronic disease and infectious disease. If your immune system is strong, you're resilient. And there are certain immune cells in your, in your body that their job is to identify and eliminate cancer cells. That's their job. I mean, I've lost count of the number of doctors and oncologists who I've met personally, who've reached out to me and said, thank you for what you're doing. I, I, I love it. I love your work. I appreciate you. You know, I'm not, I'm not doctor bashing. I'm not bashing doctors. I am attacking an industry that is horrible, right? It's a, it's a horrible industry that physicians have the highest rate of suicide of any profession, right? That's not a coincidence. That's because they went into med school with high hopes and ambitions and dreams and, and optimism, and they were crushed in med school and devoted 10, 15, 20 years of their life to become a professional practicing successful physician. And they realize along the way that they're trapped in this horrible industry that's all about money. You can't give good quality care. And a lot of physicians, all they are, just they just write drug scripts every day, all day. And uh, as a patient advocate, my, my charge is to help to warn people, not to tell them not to do treatment, which I don't do. Mm. I don't tell anybody do this or don't do it. Uh, but I help warn them so that they can make an informed decision and decide, what do I really want to do? And so for me, I chose not to do chemotherapy. I decided the day I was supposed to go get a port put in, I decided I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm going to live or die on my own terms. And I'm going to change my life. I'm going to do everything in my power to help my body heal. And I'm going to keep reading and researching and learning and trying everything that's available to me that I can find and afford. I had sort of a three three step, uh, you know, three criteria. It's like one, uh, will it not, will it help? Is there a possibility this will help me Two, uh, is there no risk of harm? And three, can I afford it? (laughs) Well, one thing I will ask you is that now that a lot of people know who you are and, you know, kind of, I guess, relying on you for this information and for your feedback and your help and your advocacy, do you slip up? Do you allow yourself to have 
some shit food every now and then or have some alcohol or things? Or are you 100% committed to this with, with no blinkers on? You're listening to the Love Your Diagnosis podcast with Lainey Godiva. Let's find out if Chris ever slips up or if he wears a halo constantly in trying to keep the cancer at bay. Let's listen to his answer. I have two pieces of advice for my audience, and it depends on where they're, what, what their situation is. So if they have active cancer, then there is, there is a track for that, right? There is the hardcore track, diet and lifestyle track. If you are trying to heal cancer, prevent a recurrence, this is what you do, which I talk about in my book. But my question but to you, you is, do you... Like, I know I'm getting to it. So I'm okay. getting to it. Okay. So for, for someone that's not sick, but they're uh, conscious of the threat of cancer or chronic disease, that advice is different. That advice is not as strict, right? That advice is eat a plant-based diet, exercise every day, keep your stress under control. For my myself personally, I'm approaching 18 years past cancer. And yeah, I absolutely am not hardcore and strict like I was when I was healing for many years in the beginning. I don't slip up. I don't have uh, cheat meals. I don't, I don't look at it in terms of negative, right? Yeah. There's no bad food, right? The dose determines the poison. Yes, I will enjoy what I call recreational food, okay? I, I will enjoy that, those kind of things from time to time. But it's, you know, I'm not going through the drive throughs right? I'm eating a, a hardcore plant-based diet still. Uh, I'm still at, at a level that most people are not even close to, right? Yeah. But I'm not at the urgent, no exceptions, hardcore anti-cancer healing diet. By the way, this is what I talk about in my new book, Beat Cancer Kitchen. There's two sections in the cookbook. The first section is the hardcore anti-cancer diet. Yeah, and the right. second section is recipes for prevention and healing, you know, to ju- just more casual, What's the greatest gift that you think this work has has given you? And how many lives do you think you've actually turned around to empower? I'll answer the second part first. I have no idea. Sure, I get lots of emails and and messages. And so I see those and and they keep me going. When people say, thank you so much, you've changed my life. I'm my, my cancer's gone. I'm cancer free for two years or five years or 10 years or whatever. Like that's awesome. But there's no way for me to track or know how, you know, how many people I've been able to encourage or inspire or, you know, just impact in, in whatever ways. I guess you but, don't get in it for that anyway. It's not about no. the likes and the emojis. It's, it's just no. that you love what you're doing. You're empowering others to stay healthy and stay alive and live their best life. And the best I can do is just to keep doing what I do. And so the, yeah. this, the, to answer the second, first part of your question, second is that I, in my second book, I talk about this idea that cancer is a defining moment in your timeline, right? You've got BC before cancer and AD after the diagnosis. So it's a, de, it's a defining mark in your timeline. And a lot of people are, our, our cancer patients look back and long for their life before cancer, right? Life was so much better before cancer. And what I encourage people to, to, to start to think about and believe is that your life will be better after cancer. Good things are coming. Like this is going to change your life for the better. And when you start thinking that way and believing that way, it just changes the course of your life, right? In ways that are Hard, hard to know and even hard to, to measure, but it does. 
I found that for me, of course, I hated, I hated my diagnosis. I didn't love it. I hated it. Right. It was, it was terrible news. It was a shock to my life. And, but it was a wake up call. And I realized that cancer had to change me. I heard a cancer patient say once, I'm not going to let cancer change me. You know, the average person hearing that would be like, oh, that's so, you're so tough. You're a badass. You're standing up to cancer. And, but when I hear that, it's like, oh, that is the worst possible thing you could say, right? It's going to change you, like it or not. And so you have to surrender yeah. to, the, to the process. During my cancer journey, I didn't learn to love my diagnosis, but I, I learned to love myself, Right. Because I, I really did hate myself. I was, I was kind of a mess. I was stressed. I was a very type A driven, prone to jealousy and envy. I had resentment and bitterness in my life toward people who had hurt me. I was, of course, I wasn't a worrier until I got cancer. And now I'm worrying and I've got anxiety about cancer systematically. And I touched on this earlier. Like I started practicing gratitude. I started giving my fears and worries to God. I'd say, I'm not going to be afraid. I trust you. And then I looked at my past and I decided I'm going to forgive every single person who has hurt me in life, right? I'm going to forgive all of them. Let these things go. I'm not going to hold on to the anger because here's the thing. When you hold on to anger and bitterness, you're holding on to pain. You are keeping yourself in a prison of pain. Pain and anger. Uh, Pain and anger. You can't have anger and, and not have pain, right? Anger suppresses your immune system. It promotes inflammation. It's not just something in between your ears. Those negative emotions produce harm to your body. They keep you in a state of fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you can't repair. You can't regenerate. Like you, you, Your body has a hard time healing. You got to be in rest and digest mode. That's parasympathetic nervous system activation. But the key to the prison of pain is on the inside of the door. It's called forgiveness, right? And you don't do it for them. You do it for you. I'm just going to wrap this up. I just want your views on two treatments that you hear a lot of in cancer, IV vitamin C and um, CBD. In terms of practical treatments, I did IV vitamin C. Numerous IV vitamin C treatments. Do I think it cures cancer? No, but I think it's very helpful. Uh, and it's one of those treatments that didn't have any risk of harm as far as I could tell and had a benefit for sure. in, in terms of supporting your immune system, being an antioxidant therapy at high doses, it's actually oxidative and produces hydrogen peroxide, which is anti-cancer. Uh, so still a fan of IV vitamin C. I think if anybody that wants to know more about it, I've interviewed two uh, doctors from the Reardon clinic on crispycancer.com, Dr. Ron Hunting Hockey and Dr. Lucas Timms. Dr. Hunting Hockey has administered 10,000 plus IV vitamin C in- infusions to humans, wow, right? He, he is, yeah, he is a master. If you go to crispycancer.com and type in Ron in the search bar, you'll find it. So that's that. But now CBD is pretty innocuous. I, THC is a little bit tricky. I didn't take either one in, in my cancer journey. I mean, no one was talking about it. Mm. It just, it wasn't a thing in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8. Now, I mean, I didn't think I even heard about it until maybe 2012. Even now, I think it, it could be helpful. I don't think it's harmful. Cannabis oil is a different, different animal. When you're taking the actual full spectrum cannabis oil, there are definitely some testimonials out there that are wonderful of people healing cancer taking it. But there's also, I've seen personally some patients take it and shrink their tumors for a time, but then the tumors start growing again 
and then they're not responsive to the THC, the CBD THC, uh, full spectrum cannabis oil. And I think it's a similar mechanism to what we see with chemotherapy drugs, which is the paradox of chemo drugs is, yeah, they'll kill cancer cells and shrink a tumor, but they also, they don't kill the cancer stem cells. And that's a problem because the stem cells are the ones that started the tumor in the first place. Yeah. And the tumor is composed of lots of different cells. And so like the daughter cells are the ones that are easily killed by chemo and the stem cells are not. So after chemo's over, the cancer stem cells are more aggressive usually, and the patient's immune system is destroyed. So this is the double-edged sword of chemo. This is the paradox of chemo. This is why you see so many cancer patients go through chemo, the tumor shrinks, everybody's excited and celebrating. And then in a short time later, they get a new, another scan and there's new spots in their bones and their brain and their liver and their lungs. So cannabis, I think, this is a complete hypothesis of mine, just based on observation. But I think it's doing something similar. Uh, it's not destroying the person's immune system by any means. But I think for some types of cancer, it has a direct anti-cancer action, a cancer killing action in the body. But it may not be killing the stem cells and they may be becoming resistant over time. And then, you know, the person, that person who was sort of treating cannabis oil as a miracle cure and they haven't changed anything else about their life. Correct. Yeah. When when the cannabis oil stops working, they don't know what to do. Well, there is no there... miracle cure. You've got to be part of it, as we both know, in our own journeys. Well, I'm going to get all the links from you to everything to do with your books and where people can find you and obviously where to join your community. And, you know, from one patient advocate to another, I, I salute you. And, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Um, in doing what you're doing, it takes tenacity and I guess not caring what people think about you because um, there would be so many people that would want to bring you down for trying to lift people up. I just want to say one thing in closing because I, I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me on and letting me share my story and, and hopefully, you know, encourage people and give them things to think about. I think what I, ca- I call this the beat cancer mindset. There's a small number of people that have this mindset. And that is, it starts with the belief that healing is possible. Like you, or even that you can maybe not fully heal, but that you can improve your life, right? That you can manage your disease, that you can live with it, or that it can not become, that you can manage it in a way that it it doesn't, it's not a problem anymore, right? So, but in the cancer world, just the belief that healing is possible is the most important thing. And then from there being willing to change your life, to take full responsibility for your health, to not make excuses, and to enjoy your life and enjoy the process. All these components sort of are are included in this mindset that I had and that I see over and over and over in, in patients who have healed cancer against the odds. And I've interviewed a number of them on my website. We all have the same sort of mindset and philosophy and attitude toward life and health and healing and personal responsibility, which you obviously have and people in your community do too. And I wish more people had it. And those are definitely the people that gravitate toward me and latch on to my message because it rings true for them, right? Yeah. They they also believe that at the end of the day, they are responsible for their life and their health. And they just want to know, what can I do? Just, just give me something. Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it, <laughs> right? Right. And I will try it. Whether or not it works for me, we'll find out. But if you have a good idea, I've got a problem. 
I need a solution. I'm willing to try anything. And so that's who I'm here to serve. And, yeah. uh, and I'm sure you are too. So it's just really, I get so much joy and satisfaction. I get to do this every day and it makes me feel so good about myself yeah. and gives me so much, again, joy and satisfaction and fulfillment um, to be able to be a patient advocate and health and wellness enthusiast and author and speaker. It's just, it's just all wonderful and fun. Oh, beautiful. Thanks, Chris, for taking the time to speak to me. And yeah, I'll be sending whoever I interview that has cancer, obviously I'll be sending them to join your community, which is what a million and something people's. Yeah. I mean, across, across social media platforms and email newsletter subscribers. And yeah, it is, it's uh, it's over a million, but I, I don't pay very close attention to the numbers because yeah, it doesn't it's kind of like earlier you said, like in the beginning, it's really excited when one person likes, you yeah. know, like, oh, I got a like. But then once you get to a certain level that you don't get that same thrill anymore, right? It's yeah. just, it's just all wonderful. And, and I stopped counting likes and followers a long time ago. Amazing. Thank you so, so, so much. And, and bye. And maybe we'll meet down the track at a patient advocacy expo or something that I don't think. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. All right. See you later. See you. Thanks. Bye. If you would like to donate to the, the running of this podcast and you can afford a few little bucks a month or whatever it is that you can afford to keep the show going without ads please hit the PayPal button. And if you've got a few loose coins, that would really mean a lot to me and other people who are listening to this podcast and getting seeds of inspiration. Also, leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that just means more people will know about it. If you've got a story that you want to share, that you've had success with, and that you've researched and found some some joy and gold in your own diagnosis, please hit me up. I'm always happy to share anyone's story. The main takeaway message in these podcasts is get second opinions, find a doctor that you really resonate with, and research the shit out of what you're going on. Get back in the driver's seat of your health, everyone. You do not need to take one person's opinion about the rest of your life and how to live it. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'm Lainey Godiva.